Now there's a funny thing about faith. In the epistle written to the Hebrews, we have the biblical definition of faith given to us in chapter 11, which reads, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. We know and we believe not because we see, but because of what God has told us. That in itself is a matter of having faith that it is indeed God that told us through the inspiration of Scripture. Maybe God told us in the words of Jesus or a disciple or in the many other inspired writings of the Old Testament. We know a lot about God by simply believing what He says at face value. Yet people... Frequently, people who are supposedly of faith want to see evidence. People tend to want proof. Throughout the Middle East, and particularly in the Holy Land, archaeology is a big industry. Dig and find and prove is the purpose. As a result, there have been some incredible discoveries which consistently validate what the Bible says is true. Then the people of faith think to themselves, well, of course you found this or you found that. The Bible says it's there. The most recent addition to this proving something happened was not as much a matter of archaeology, although the archaeologists found the materials which initiated the study back in 2015, and its results just now being published, but rather scientists in the field of astronomy and geology looking at an astrological event and its geological impact. It turns out, this is going to be a surprise to everyone, it turns out that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were utterly destroyed by fire raining down from the sky. A study of the region indicates that a meteor exploded at low altitude with the force of a 10-ton mega, excuse me, a 10 megaton atomic bomb at an altitude of about one kilometer over the northeast corner of the Dead Sea and obliterated all of the civilization in a 25-kilometer-wide circular plane. At the same time, the pottery in the settlements was heated into glass in the space of milliseconds. According to the results of analysis of the zircon crystals formed in the process, indicates that they were briefly exposed to temperatures of approximately 4,000 to 12,000 degrees Celsius, comparable to the temperature of the surface of the sun. The explosion rained down platinum as well as molten lava on the region, According to two of the archaeologists, the platinum that 
tipped him off that something had happened. This further confirms that it was a meteor that was the source because platinum is found in higher concentration in meteors than on the earth. Approximately 40 to 60,000 people living in that region were killed and a 500 square kilometer area was rendered uninhabitable for 600 to 700 years, the researchers estimate. They believe that the area was stripped of its topsoil and that salts from the nearby Dead Sea were spread over the land, destroying its fertility. And the approximate date of the annihilation matches the time period corresponding to the events described in Genesis. It must be a strange feeling when as a scientist who is working on a piece of research, you unintentionally confirm a cataclysmic event described in the Bible. It must be a stranger feeling when as a person who is supposedly a person of faith, And the Bible story that you have dismissed as allegory or hyperbole for the sake of emphasizing a point is proven true. And at the same time, it is nice, it is comforting, it is reassuring for the person who is of faith, who has accepted what the Bible says is trustworthy and true, to have that faith externally validated. A way of saying, I knew this all along, and now even those who are detractors, those who have no faith, have their proof. And the reason I bring this up is the interplay and interdependence of faith and evidence has gone back a long way. In fact, we see it at the start of our gospel text for today. And our gospel text this morning is split into interrelated parts. In the 11th chapter of the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, we have Jesus responding to the concerns of John the Baptist and his disciples. Then, once Jesus answered those concerns, Jesus, setting his own disciples straight as to the nature and identity of John the Baptist. First, we see John the Baptist is in prison. The end is coming and he knows that he will soon die and wants to know that his life has been, is being given up for the truth. The text reads, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent by word of his disciples, said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? In other words, Jesus, I'm in prison. I'm about to die. Did I waste my life? Do my disciples who are looking to you need to look elsewhere? We need to know the truth. We have been following you by faith, but right now, we really need some evidence. In reply, Jesus directs their attention to the evidence. Jesus answers them and says, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus tells them, examine all the evidence and rest assured. I am the one. And then Jesus 
as this, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Faith is hard. Following me is hard. Turning your backs to the comfort of the world is hard. Being a Christian is countercultural. And that is hard. Remain faithful. Do not stumble. Do not trade my truth for the teachings of the world. Let the world be offended by you, but do not be offended by me, and you will be blessed. When the disciples of John the Baptist depart to bring the news of what they saw and what they heard, what Jesus said to them, Jesus turns and He speaks to the crowds that are around Him. He speaks to the crowds about John. The crowds, based on what Jesus says, what the, the crowds, excuse me, got myself confused. The crowds hear from Jesus, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? They've been out to see John the Baptist. If they've been out to John the Baptist, was it out of devotion? Was it out of curiosity? Was it to hear the radical message of John preached and everybody is talking about? That part the text does not tell us. We only know that the crowd had gone out to see John and apparently did not see what they expected. So Jesus asks, What did you expect to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Today we would say, did you expect a shrinking violet? Did you expect a wallflower? Did you expect a timid man who quivers at the slightest sign of unrest? Did you expect a man that is easy to call harmless? Were your feelings hurt when John called you a brood of vipers? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Did you expect a man dressed in some linens and silks? Did you expect a man with frills and lace? Did John's clothing of camel hair and a leather belt shock you? Were you disgusted as he made his meal of locusts, eating the bugs from the ground? Did you expect somebody who is polite and genteel and ready to share a nice cup of tea with you? Then Jesus brings the question to the point. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, a prophet. And prophets don't mince words. Think about Jonah's crying out to the people of Nineveh. He simply walks into the town and says, Get ready, God's going to kill you. Think about Amos crying out, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. It's not a way to win friends and influence people. goes on to say that they will be drug out by hooks and with fish hooks. We can discuss all of the various prophets, but the point is pretty clear. Being a prophet means telling the truth in a very forward way. Don't mince words. Don't bandy about. Give the straight truth. As a result, prophets were frequently killed. 
The Gospel according to Matthew records Jesus saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you. Prophets enter into their calling knowing that they put their lives at risk when they do so. And now Jesus confronts the crowd. Did you go looking for a prophet? Yes, a prophet, and more than a prophet. John the Baptist told you about me. When you go to the temple and hear these words from Malachi read, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will someday come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is speaking of John the Baptist. And that means John the Baptist, this is Jesus explaining to the crowds, that means John the Baptist is speaking of the Messiah when he speaks of me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. In other words, Jesus says, I am the Lord you seek. Now here we are in the season of Advent. The season which we are to await. But it's more than just await. It is to be anticipatory. To be desiring to seek the Lord. We've come here together this morning as we've come through the each week of Advent and will continue. And what have you come to see? Surely not a priest or priests who are reeds shaken by the wind, shrinking violets who sugarcoat or subvert the Lord's message. Priests in soft clothing. Well, I guess that one could be a bit tricky as we have our linens and silks and satins. But then again, Jesus said that those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses, and we are, in fact, in the house of the king this morning. But I assure you, though, when we step outside, we are dressed for the work of the gospel. Finally, a prophet. Well, I will not claim that title for myself or for Father Wilcox. And I think that we will both echo the words of Amos when he said, I am not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. But we will do one thing faithfully. We will prepare the way of the Lord. And how will we do that? By providing access to as many means of God's grace as possible. Faithfully preaching the gospel message. Reverently celebrating the sacraments. The giving of good, good and godly counsel and consolation. Praying for you and for others on your behalf. We will, to the very best of our abilities, live the charism of our ordinations and act in persona Christi in this ministry so that you might see Christ as you await Christ. Now then, the question returns to you. Will you seek the Lord in all that you do? Will you live an Advent life? Amen.